The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. about that then you may know so it's there just I know you guys are singing it behind me and I'm still not getting it up here but it's all good I invite you this morning to Hebrews chapter 13 Hebrews chapter 13 and uh, you'll go ahead and put that screen up for me Megan Uh, Hebrews 13 verse 8 very familiar verse for us this morning Uh, as we continue the next couple months of our study of who God is back to the basics of who God is and uh, I had someone ask me this week another pastor he said well Uh, how's that going for you? I said, I hope it's going well. I said, they get to laugh at my expense because I get to tell stories about our new house that are going wrong. And so uh, we get to laugh and share some things, but hope you've been encouraged by this study. And just as a good reminder to you, it's not just about the head knowledge we accumulate with this. It's about knowing the God behind all that we do. And that's why we're studying it because we want to know God in his fullness that he's given us through his word. And so we'll look at Hebrews 13.8 a little bit. That'll kind of be our springboard as we start off this morning. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. You know, we live in a world today, don't we, of much change. I don't think I have to tell you that, but uh, it's a constant change. It's unraveling. This change is all around us at a rapid pace. Uh, You know, knowledge is changing so fast that we can't even keep up with it. There's new discoveries every day. Uh, There's a top 10 thing that comes out on my uh, Facebook each week that says the top 10 discoveries of the week. I think, wow, there's one in a year you think that's good. You get 10 in a week. It's a lot. And technology is so good that the time you buy one of these things, it's usually outdated by the time you get to the parking lot, isn't it? Technology goes so fast. Morals are changing. I don't think I have to tell you that, especially those of you who've been in the, uh, around the congregation for a long time. What used to be unlawful and unthinkable is now commonplace. It's now accepted. It's now the norm. It's just okay because that's just the way it is. We saw that last summer with a major Supreme Court decision, among many other things. Waking up in a new world every day is a change, isn't it? You changed in the positive way last fall when the Royals won the World Series. For some, you didn't think you'd ever see that change. Couldn't come quick enough. But everything people today say is not that positive. Everything's negotiable, the world says. Society's changing. Culture's changing. Even the church is changing. Not just in the way we do things, but what is accepted by what is truth anymore, it's changing in the church, isn't it? I think many churches, uh, I, you can name several that even 50 years ago were the, were the we are the, the, the whatever, we are going to stand on the Bible, and now they don't even read the Bible. They read what other men think about the Bible, and that's where they've gone. Changes everywhere. But despite all this change, as simple as it may sound, despite all this change, God has not changed. Amen. He can't change because he can't improve on his absolute perfection. I mean, think about that. God can't uh, decline or increase or improve, or he doesn't change because of the circumstances of life. He doesn't change due to emergencies because God stands forever. That's why we can sing in that first song that's been around, Matt Redmond's song. He never lets us go because he doesn't change. And God doesn't react. He acts with an unchangeable purpose. And probably the most famous verse for this isn't the one we're studying today, but actually comes out of the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, the first part of the verse. God says, I am the Lord, and I changeth not, or I change not. 
For therefore your children of Jacob are not consumed. Friends, I am so grateful that in a world that is constantly changing as quickly as things can change, that God has always known the future perfectly. He's always known it sovereignly, and he's always planned it precisely the way he wanted it. And he always acts in the way he plans it out. Do you see how all these attributes we've studied over the last few weeks are getting more and more in tune with that silver lining through all that? God is never surprised. But the question this morning is, you've heard this most of you your whole life, do you trust this unchanging God? I mean, really, do you trust this unchanging God? It's easy to say, God, you don't change, therefore I trust you, but do you trust him? Or if you're not a Christian here today, do you, not, do you know this unchanging God and his requirements for you? And this next statement for the big idea, I've really had to, I've said it before, but I think we're living it out in our home as we deal with soot and lots of other things. The big idea is this, is if you know this truth about the unchanging God, happiness depends on our happenings. They are ever-changing, you'll see up on the screen. But joy relies on our Lord who is unchanging. I hope that's where your trust is this morning. We have a God that remains unchanging in who he is, in all his ways, and this is a great comfort to us. He is the North Star, if you want to use the old language, that we can follow because he doesn't change. Some of you are reading through uh, the uh, Old Testament right now, the first five books. You know at the pillar of fire as they led the Israelites, God did through the desert. They did not move unless the pillar of fire moved with them. And the pillar of fire went an inch, the camp went an inch. If the pillar of fire went this way, they, that's how God leads us. I'm so grateful for that. Last couple of weeks, you'll see in review, we've looked at the supremacy of God in week six. And last week, we looked at the sovereignty of God. And that's a, that's a tough topic. A lot of you had questions about that. So a lot of good questions. And there's a lifetime of questions that we will look at and say, wow, boom, mind blown, can't understand it. But today, hopefully something that you may know or may not know, we want to look at this unchanging God and how this all comes together. We're going to see from Hebrews 13:8 that God is unchanging in his character. We're going to see that God is unchanging in his purpose God is unchanging in his word. Praise God for that. And ultimately, God is unchanging in his salvation. And this book of Hebrews, many of you know, was written to Jewish Christians or people who knew uh, the Old Testament very well. And uh, the, the writer of Hebrews, who we don't know who that is, some say Apollo, some say Paul, some say it could be whoever, the writer of Hebrews takes this Old Testament language of God not changing and shows that all the things they've been trying to trust in the Jews, like animal sacrifices and and rituals and offerings have now changed forever because the unchanging God took on changing flesh and died as a, as a substitutionary atonement for the people of this world so that they can have an unchanging salvation. And he's getting to the end of his book, and we're just going to look at one verse, which is always dangerous to some degree because we'll read the context, but I want you to know that God's plan has not changed. God is not a different God from the Old Testament to the New. He's the same God who has given us his word that has given us everything that we have here today. Friends, I hope you can trust in that this year. I hope you can trust in that today, whatever life may throw at you. Are you ready to stand up with me today? In honor of the Lord's word, if you're able, we do this as a honoring the Lord's word. If you'll join us in standing, we'll actually start in verse 5 of Hebrews 13, verse 5, for some context, through verse 8. Hebrews 5 and verse 8. And if you're an underliner, these next four verses are prime picking for underlining, highlighting, starring, pink, whatever you guys do, this is good stuff to do it with. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, that's God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. What, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, and consider the outcome of the, the way, their way of life and imitate their faith. And the verse we're going to key in on, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just a side note here, as uh, you'll see that, that phrase in verse 5, I will never leave you. It's literally, I will never, never, never leave you. I will no, no, no forsake you in the Greek. Guys, our God's an unchanging God in his purpose. What a great God he is. Let's go before the Lord as we pray this morning. Father, thank you that we can talk about who you are this morning because you have not changed. Father, you are the ageless one. You are the timeless one. You are the eternal one, the one who is sovereign, supreme, the one who is all-powerful, all-sufficient. Father, the one who is the great three-in-one God, the one who is faithful, the one who is all-powerful, the one who is everything we cannot be. But Father, yet you have come down to us in Christ. Father, thank you that the gospel has not changed either. It is not changing because some man saw a vision in the woods and made a new church. It's not changing for any of those reasons because, Father, your word is set. Help us to cherish that this morning. I know there's a lot of folks uh, suffering here, whether from grief or from illness or just life's challenges. Father, may the fact that you don't change when everything around them seems to be changing be the greatest comfort they have this morning. May that be our church's greatest comfort forevermore. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. First thing I want you to look at here, and I, again, I said we're kind of going to use Hebrews 13.8 as a, uh, a launch pad, if you will, um, to really look at these next things. And as usual, I'm not going to put these up on the screen. There's a lot of verses, but I will read some verses, and I'll say the reference of those. If you want to write those down and look those up later, it'd be a good study just to refresh yourself. But the first thing I want to see that God is not changing is he's unchanging in his character. He's unchanging in his character. He's infinite and forever the same. You know, it sounds so easy, doesn't it? I mean, just think about how much, if some of you have kids, and I was thinking this morning as we were driving in, I have Scarlett, Simeon, Natalie still at home sick, and I was just thinking how much in three years I have changed, hopefully for the better, because of a three-year-old son. Some of you have looked back, and some of you look back before you were married, and you say, wow, how did I ever make it through life? I was kind of crazy back then, right? And you've changed, and that's a good thing. But if you can imagine and wrap your mind around the thought that God never has to change. He's perfect as he is. He doesn't have to do anything else. And that's why in Exodus 3.14, again, this won't be on the screen, but just for reference, God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Not I will be who I will be, or I'm becoming who I'm becoming, or I was who I once was, but I am. He's constant. He's altogether influenced, uninfluenced rather, by the flight of time, and no wrinkles come across God's face, if you want to put it that way. Wouldn't that be nice? If you didn't have to buy wrinkle cream. I'm not there yet. You'll have to tell me what that's like, but uh, there it is. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Wow. The psalmist says God was and is, and God will be God. He's the always God. He's the forever God. He's always the same. The God without beginning, the God without end, the God without anything to change him in the middle, he is always these things, despite all the efforts of time, despite all the efforts of people, of places, of organizations, God remains the same from everlasting to everlasting. 
Church, that's why it's a dangerous thing that when we allow the world to inform why as a church we do certain things or we don't do certain things. Because guess what? 15 years ago, you had to wear Hawaiian t-shirts. Maybe you remember the stage. You had to wear Hawaiian t-shirts and walk around and sit on a stool and kind of talk like Mr. Rogers. And, and that's the way churches be done. You know what's come back in the last 15 years? Praise the Lord for this. What's come back is good Bible preaching. I think it's been there for the most part, but you see what I'm saying. We, we kind of change with the culture at times. That's not always bad, but we are subject to our own weaknesses, aren't we? That's why we must let the Word of God inform how we ch- handle the church of God, because that is the God who's never changing in His character. You know, uh, Matt read the Psalm 102, verse 23. Uh, God has broken my strength in mid-course, and He has shortened my days. We are subject to great weakness, but God is not. He's forever the same. The hourglass, if you want to say it this way, do we, does anyone have an hourglass that's still around with the, with the sand in them? The hourglass for God is turned upside down. Nothing can change him. But for us, what's it doing right now? It's just trickling down, trickling down, trickling down, trickling down. God remains unalterably fixed and the same forever. What does this mean? What does this mean for you? I think the first point you'll see up on the screen is this. The Bible sees a fuller knowledge of God as the more critical thing to receive than a change of circumstances. I had to really think about this this week, guys. Be honest. You're probably sick of the sit story. I'm sick of telling the sit story because it's all over the place. But literally, we had to think about this as a couple this week. God is knowing you through this hard time better for us than a change of paint, a change of carpet, a change of clothes, literally. Finding your tie, Darren. All those things. It is, because God is forever the same, yet he's challenging us to grow in this experience, to know him better. And many of you today are going through many difficult things, and God may have you in that vacuum of trial so that he can teach you more about himself, and that you can be uh, trusting more in his unchanging character as it goes through. I mean, guys, think about this. God doesn't increase in his knowledge. He doesn't learn as he goes. He can't decrease in his knowledge or forget. Yet we can, and we need those hard times sometimes, don't we, to really see the effect of God working in our lives. God is always sovereign. I mean, think about all his attributes. God's always sovereign. God is always holy. God is always just. God is always good. God is always truthful. And every one of these means that we can trust him because one of those is never going to override the other. You say, well, Darren, God, is, he's disciplining me. I've sinned. Well, you know, he, it just doesn't seem like his hand is, uh, of guilt is coming off me. He may have you in that stage so that you know the only place you can go is for Jesus Christ. So you say, wow, I, life is great. The weather's been 70 degrees the last two weekends. Praise the Lord. The wind's blowing me away, but, you know, I'm doing okay. You know what? Praise the Lord for that, because God gave you that wind. Remember Jonah last fall? Jonah said, God, send me relief, and what did God do? He brought the, the plant, gave him shade, and what did Jonah do? Man, he complained, and what did God do? He brought it back. Guys, I would just say, whatever you're at, whether it's good, bad, somewhere in between, God is the one that is trustworthy. It's the last sub-point I want to have Megan throw up there. It's one thing to believe in God and then he will deliver you from whatever circumstance it is and it's another to trust him through that circumstance. It's kind of like, uh, Natalie and I were talking about this, it's kind of like delivering a baby. It's one thing to say, yeah, this baby's going to come out. And it's another thing to trust the doctors who are going along the way because I bet if you're a mom here, you know that that is necessary help along the way. 
It is, because it's one thing to believe it's going to happen. It's another thing to trust those who can help you in that journey, and how much more can we trust God through that journey? I think a perfect illustration of this is about an old man, a boy, and a donkey. Uh, this is one of those great pastor illustrations. You'll see the picture up on the screen, but there were an old man and a young boy were walking with a donkey, and someone saw them making their way along the road, and they said, look at that waste. Why are the, is the old man walking? Why is the boy walking? and not using the donkey for the purpose it was created for. And the old man, being a people pleaser, decided, you know, that's a pretty good idea. I'm going to get on the donkey and make the boy walk so we're not wasting the donkey's energy, right? So that makes sense. And they got on their way a little bit further, and someone came up to him, and he said, look at that old man. He's making the old boy walk, or the uh, uh, little boy walk while he rides. The old man thought for a second. He said, that makes sense too. So he switched to places with the young boy, and the young boy got up on the donkey, and the old man led. And what would happen? A little ways down the road, they met another person. And the person said, look at that young boy making that old man walk while he rides. He's younger and stronger. How, how crazy is that? And yet again, the old man pondered and said, you know, that's a valid point. I think the next person I, I talk to, I'm going to follow what they say. So the next person who saw them looked on in disbelief and said, that's terrible. Why isn't the donkey being carried? And so the donkey rode on the back of the old man, and they walked down the road for the rest of the way at that point. Friends, when you try and please everyone, you will be starking, raving mad if you try and do that because you will always run with the opinions of men. Are you trusting more in the opinions of what people are saying? Are you trusting that God is able to take you through whatever it is in front of you right now? Now, don't discount wise wisdom, wise godly wisdom, but... Aren't you grateful that God isn't like that? That he says, you know, Darren had a great prayer this morning, but man, when Blake prayed, I can go with what Blake says because that's a better prayer. Aren't you glad God isn't like that? Aren't you glad that God is always the same in his character and he will carry out his plan to know him better through his unchanging character? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's go on to the second one. God is not only unchanging in his character, who he is, he's unchanging in his purpose. His will is sure. His plan is sure. And that's why right off the bat, the first subpoint here is that God takes emergency in one hand and change in another and starts hacking away, or cutting away the things we depend on other than him. Friends, we change our plans often because we lack something that we need to accomplish that plan. But God perfectly knows the future. Nothing that he doesn't have won't be part of his calculation. God doesn't add up all the money in the world and say, man, this church really needs that, but I'm coming up a penny short. Can someone help me out? God has already planned the end to the means of that. We change plans because we can't select the best plan. Sometimes uh, it isn't a great thing. Sometimes God gives you the, the choice between best and better, and you have to choose between those options, but God never has to do that. He's omnipotent. He has nothing that is impossible for him. You know, the big question, someone asked me this after service last week. Maybe you've been curious about this. Can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? So who's, who's heard that question before? Anyone ever heard that question? Feel, I'm surprised more hands haven't gone up. Can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? What's the answer to that, Matt? Matt's laughing, so I put him on the spot. The answer is God can only do what his attributes allow him to do. God cannot put a round square through a peg hole if that is against some laws of nature. And that's a whole other sermon, but what I want you to get is if God has a purpose, 
If God wants to do something, he will do it. But when he does it, he does it with absolute unchangeableness in such a way that he is faithful to his character and faithful to his word and his purpose. That can God make a rock so big that he can't lift? That's a question atheists ask often to stump Christians. But friends, let me tell you that God is able to do all things consistent with his nature. How do we know this? 1 Samuel 15, 29, you can write that down. 1 Samuel 15, 29, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he's not a man that he should have regret. God doesn't come up one day and say, boy, I wish I had done that better. Or he doesn't have, if you're in the business world, the SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. He doesn't say, man, if I had just done this a different way, we would have had this happen in a better system. God never changes his mind. Guys, be grateful for that. We have mentioned this a couple times. It bears repeating. Do not believe the Discovery Channel or History Channel or the Doctor Period so-and-so that says, well, God says here that he changed his mind, therefore he must change. No. Guys, if God changes, go home. Seriously, don't tithe to the church. If God changes, stop praying. If God changes, stop going and evangelizing. If God changes, stop doing anything that you have done as a Christian because it's hogwash and it means nothing if God has changed. God does not lie. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that God doesn't butter you up with the truth and, and give you like that, the mostly true part of the story, like when you ask a kid, what happened to the vase? Well, you know, we were cleaning the vase and it just happened to fall off when we were dusting the top. No, what really happened? You kicked the soccer ball and it fell over and it went boom, right? I'm grateful that God tells us the truth as it is. And I'm grateful that that truth includes his purpose, that it is unchangeable. Job 23, 13, but God is unchangeable and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. God never plans for plan B. He always plans for plan A. Proverbs 19, 21 Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Aren't you grateful so much? Sometimes in your life, when you look out at the prayers, I, I would encourage you, if you do not, maybe it's on your smartphone. There's an app for that, literally. But maybe it's on your phone. Maybe it's somewhere. But journal how God has answered your prayers. As you pray for this, see how God has answered it over here. And as you look back over the year, maybe you were praying for this and God answered it this way, not the way you expected, but it was the way he desired to do it. What a great God that he is because of that. How about Isaiah 14, 26? This is the purpose concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. The Lord of hosts has purposed and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? No princes, no demons, no world leaders, no governments, no preachers. Thankfully, no preachers, no Christian organizations, no sin of ours can ever frustrate the plan of God, guys. What an amazing thing. Go read Romans. If you need encouragement today, read Romans 8, 38 and 39. What can separate you from the love of God? Can death or trouble or tribulation or demons or any of that? No, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's why we can hold on to the fact that when no one seems to love you in your life, whatever that may mean, that God has always fixed his eye of love on you if you are his, by faith alone in Christ. From the beginning and from time long ago, God has counted the stars and he knows them each by name. But friend, if you are Christ, he knows you. His purpose for you is that you would be closer to Jesus Christ each and every day, that our church would be closer to Christ each and every day. 
Have you prayed for that purpose in your life? Have you prayed for that? Last sub-point here, and we'll just have Megan throw this up. But all around us is uncertainty, but our God doesn't change. He will bring to pass the place of His choosing. Praise Him always for that. You know, as we look at our soot problem, and as we've diagnosed this a million times in our heads, we are grateful God has put us here. doesn't put us in a good financial state, whether it's insurance or personally. It doesn't do any of that. But for some reason, it's brought our family, by God's grace, closer together. It's brought us to our knees more than we have been. Not that we haven't been, but you know what those times do, don't you? They humble you. They really do. God, we don't know what to do here. Our kids are sick. My wife's sick. I got black stuff everywhere. I've just found my... Fill in the blanks. God, what is the purpose here? And it's been hard at times to say, praise God for soot damage in our house. But I pray we can look back and say, praise God for soot damage. Because the sex illustration came right out of that. I am not a cook. I just want you to know this. But some of you are cooks. Are anyone good cooks out here? Anyone? No one wants to admit it. The guys all raise their hands. And there you go. Thank you. And all the ladies, being humble as they are, did not raise their hands. So we'll let that speak for itself. But you know, tenderizing meat can be done a number of ways, can't it? You can take a little sprinkle of some, uh, uh, I guess, tenderizing powder, if you want to call it that, and it'll spread it out. But sometimes you've got to take the mallet, don't you? Come on, guys. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you've got to take the mallet, and you've got to pound that baby into all sorts of a shape and size, and you've got to make it work the way you want it to work. Bam! 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 It has to be hit over and over and over and over again. Why? Because it has to be broken down in its tough spots, doesn't it? It has to be tenderized. And friends, that is exactly how sometimes in God's unchanging purpose that trials work. They are designed to soften us. They're designed to make us more pliable. They're designed to make us uh, uh, usable in the hands of God, if you want to say it that way. And sometimes, like that, that, that seasoning, it's long and slow. Sometimes it feels like you can dump the whole jar or can of seasoning on there and it just sits and it's not tenderized, right? Now, I'm not a cook. I'm, looking, I'm getting some head nods, so maybe I'm saying this right. But sometimes God brings out his mallet, and sometimes it's boom, 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 boom. And you feel like you're, stre- you're on one of those old medieval things where they, like, stretch you out five different ways. You know, that's how you feel. But in the midst of all that, God is faithfully pulling out his purpose for you despite whatever you may be facing in your life. Aren't you grateful, Philippians, if you remember way back last summer that we read that God, uh, what he, the work he has started in you, he will complete until the day of redemption. Christian, your sin is never too much. You're truly a Christian to take you away outside the grace of God and thank him for that because his purpose is unchanging. Let's go to the third one. God is unchanging in his character. He's unchanging in his purpose. And third, he's unchanging in his word. His word. Now, the word, when I'm talking about this, if you're new to the Bible, we're just talking about the word of God. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, this is the word of God. We believe that to be unchanging as it is. We don't believe that we have to have uh, extra biblical revelation. We don't believe, as some do, that uh, God has to come speak to pastors in the mirror while they shave. We don't believe that God has to come down and say, this is my word. Guys, it is complete and final in here. Now, can God speak to us? Yes, God does. God can impress upon your heart. He uses scripture, people, circumstances at times. But we have his word as it is, complete, authoritative, and final. No more, no less. And I want you to know that it's all unchanging. The same word that you had back in 1500s, the same word you had in 35 AD, is the same word that God gives you today. Be grateful for that. Church, we do not believe that the Bible has been recorded over and over and over and over and over again. It is the same. 
That's why that first subpoint is this. You will never change the word of God, but praise God, the word of God will change you. That is the truth. Every second I spend in God's word will never change, but every second I spend in God's word will change me by the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life. Uh, one religion I, I, I've studied over the years is the Baha'i faith. The Baha'i faith believes that everything is one. It's altogether one. But they believe, though, that the words have changed over the years, and they have taken the liberty to change the words of the Bible to fit what they want it to say. So their founder, if you can say this five times fast, I'll give you a high five. They can say their founder, Baha'u'llah. Baha, yeah, say that five times fast, eh? Baha'u'llah. Yeah, sounds like a Gregorian chant going on in here. But they believe that those words of all the former prophets, all the former people, Jesus, Muhammad, Moses, Zoroaster, Confucius, you throw it out there, have changed. Well, why has it changed? Well, Baha'u'llah got a little creative with his uh, little editing software back in the 1800s, and he decided to change some words so that it fit that he was the one who had come. That's convenient, isn't it? That's very nice. It'd be easy to do that. But friends, we are grateful that God does not change. He does not lie. His word is the same. Numbers twenty three nineteen, God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill it? Everything he's spoken, everything he's commanded is brought out for us in the word of God. How about Matthew five eighteen? For truly, Jesus said, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all has been accomplished. The smallest letter in the Greek alphabet and a small stroke or the crossing of a lowercase t, basically, in English. Basically, Jesus says, nothing will pass away until all has been fulfilled, just as it was written. Friends, that's the second sub-point I want you to see. If you are here today and you say, man, I have been failed so many times by people, even people in the name of Christ who said they would love me, care for me, cherish me, their words were unstable. That is the second sub-point I want you to see is that the words of men are unstable, but God's words are always stable. Look, I've told you before, publicly from the pulpit, our pastoral staff, Matt, Blake, myself, we will fail you at times. That is not a get out of a serious uh, sin charge later on down the road. That's not why we say that. But I just want you to know that even as a pastor, we make mistakes. Even as pastors, we blow up shop backs to get all over our house. Amen? We're not perfect people. We are not, but that's why we preach the word of God each week because the God's word is perfect and it is not changeable. And even when we are fallible and sinful, God's word is perfect to hold us through all those times. Friends, that's why I pray if you ever go to a church that you judge not the church by the performance of the pastor, though each pastor should ask, how can I better communicate God's word truthfully, faithfully, but you judge that church by how they handle God's word in the music, in the prayers, in the uh, service, in the opportunities through the week. Because many churches have gone away from this to the point at which that you can't tell the difference between their church and the, the, the latest gathering of the Rotary Club with respect to the Rotary Club, uh, or whatever it is, the Lions Club, or whatever it is. Is their church marked by an unashamed submission humbly to the unchanging Word of God? Is that your prayer for our church? Is that we would trust in the unchanging Word of who God is Friends, it's right forever because God says it, and it's wrong forever because God says it. You know, doesn't our culture say today we've come farther along than any other culture before us? You ever heard that before? We say, well, we're smarter, 
We're, what's the uh, athletic statement? Some of the athletic guys, bigger, stronger, and faster. And there's a magazine out there about that. We are bigger, we're stronger, and we're faster, and we're smarter than we've ever been. But oh, the sins that were in the past are still the sins that are in the future and are still the sins that are today. Friends, we can never outsmart God's word. Christian, have you trusted in God's word for your life? No matter what size or what request it is, he is that thing. That he is the one that can get you through that thing. Let's go on to the last point. God's word is unchanging. His character is unchanging. His purpose is unchanging. And finally, and be grateful for this, Christian, your salvation is unchanging. Salvation is unchanging. I'll just, we'll just jump right to it, Maybe if you want to throw this up. We, we have given God countless reasons not to love us, church, but none of those have been strong enough to change him. I want you to think about that for a second. How many things have we done in our lives, the sins we've committed, known, unknown, omitted, committed, that we have done, yet God's love is fixed on us in Jesus Christ? Christian, if there's no greater motivation for you this week, no matter what you're facing, let it be that God loves you, not because of who you are, but because of what Christ has done in you. And that is all that matters. Your identity is Christ and Christ alone. Christ and Christ alone. I'll have you flip over with me as I want to go through this. I don't know if many of you have done this before, but if you'll flip with me to Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 8. Go back a couple books there, a few books. Romans chapter 8. I want to talk about just... Spend some time here about how God's salvation is unchanging. We're going to start in verse 28, Romans 8, 28. I want to read this together. It's very familiar to you, but I want to do it in the context to show how this unchanging God and his character, his purpose, and his word is unchanging in our salvation. Romans 8, 28, 29. Again, if you're a highlighter, these are great verses to highlight. Uh, Verse 28, and we know that those who love God we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, and for those whom he foreknew, and this is the area we don't often get to, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And I, will, I did not get these up on the screen, but I will just share them and I'll go slowly. But this is often the, the verse 28 and 29 is what's often called the golden chain of salvation. Has anyone ever heard of that before, the golden chain of salvation? A few hands go up. The first word there in verse 29 is that he foreknew. God in salvation foreknew. He, it doesn't read he foresaw. It says he foreknew. And those whom God chose to love with a, with a redeeming love, he did so without anything in them. This is how unchanging his salvation is. Remember, we talked about this last week. If you know this God is not because you're prettier than the rest, though you may be, you're prettier than the pastor, I'll tell you that much. But one thing is true. If God foreknew and saw and gave you salvation in Christ and you believed and repented of the gospel, it's because he foreknew you. And then the second word, and church, I don't want you to be scared by this word. It's not anything that should be scary, but that second word there is predestined, predestined. The foreknowledge is God uh, knowing those who would be his in eternity and choosing them. And the predestination is that God has guaranteed that those he has called out to be his own will spend all eternity with him. Wow. Aren't you grateful for that guarantee? Aren't you grateful? John MacArthur has said it so well, much better. If you are listening to people, John MacArthur is always a great suggestion. You know, he said, if you could, if you could earn your salvation, you could lose it as well. Very wise words. 
Friends, we cannot lose our salvation because our salvation is not in us. It's in the God who's unchanging, who's called us, who foreknew us, and who all in the gospel has predestined us to be guaranteed to have salvation. Wow. Think about that. A guarantee. You know, (laughs) when you deal with insurance and you deal with people who you think are supposed to take care of things at times, they always don't. Aren't you glad that your salvation is guaranteed? Amen. Aren't you glad when you buy that car off the lot and they say, yeah, we'll give you a 100,000-mile powertrain warranty, and you call them up, and, oh, no, sorry, that part's not covered. Should have bought the other warranty, too. Aren't you grateful that God is unchanging in his salvation? He doesn't change. Look at that next word. He foreknew. He, he, he chose those out in eternity to love his own. He guaranteed through predestined the certainty of their salvation. And third, in verse 29 there, he called out. He called out. This is almost stepping out of eternity and stepping out of time. It's the effectual call of God. It's it's bringing out its intended purpose. It's God calling someone and God saying, you are mine, and they are responding to that. They are responding to that. It's rooted in God's unchangeable purpose. But the, the fourth word there is justified. You'll see that in verse 29. In order that he might be the first... Sorry, go back a little bit. To be conformed to the image of a son could also be said uh, justified in there. It occurs first, the first two, four, I'm not being very clear here, but the foreknew and predestined were in eternity past. The called and the justified were in time. When God gives you faith to believe, repentance to believe, it's all happening right there. Friends, this is why we don't believe, as some major beliefs believe, that you have to be justified through your whole life. What do I mean by that? I mean that when you are saved, you are saved in the moment that you repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to go through rituals through your lifetime to justify yourself. This is why that we believe you are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by his grace alone, in that moment. Not five minutes later, not 20 years later when you get your act together, but at the cross when the thief was dying, he can say to the other guy, be quiet. I believe in the Son of God. He is my Savior. And in that moment, Jesus can say with all authority, because his words don't change, it comes with all authority, that you will be with me in paradise. Because he cleaned up his act? No. Man, he's on a cross. He was nailed to a cross. Because he got baptized? No. Because he went to a class? No. Because he attended church? No. He was justified because he placed his faith like a person jumping out of a plane would trust a parachute to save them as they fall down. He threw all his weight on Jesus Christ, and that was what saved him, not anything he brought to the table. We are immediately justified, as Luther said, by an alien and foreign righteousness outside ourselves. It's not something we bring to it. And finally, and this is what we all look forward to, that last word there, the golden chain of salvation. He foreknew us. He called us. He predestined us. He justified us. And lastly, because he's unchanging, he will glorify us in order that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Someday, and I hope you're looking forward to this day, someday we will be as Christ is. We won't be a God, but we will see him as he is. There will be no dropouts along the way. The, the, the acceptance rate into heaven for all who believe in Christ is 100%. Nine out of ten dentists may recommend you use a certain dentist. Uh, you know, toothpaste, but I can tell you what, God says 10 out of 10 people who believe in him will go to heaven because all will be founded on the unchanging salvation of who God is. The group in eternity who God has called out will be the ones who get there. That's why Jesus can say in Luke 24, he who or she who endures to the end will be saved. Is this survival of the fittest? 
Is this Darwinianism meets salvation? No. This is a God who from start to finish has authored your salvation and called you and led you along the way. Because remember, friends, if we can argue ourselves or someone into the faith, guess what? They can be argued out just the same. But when God saves a person, they are truly saved in Christ. And that is the greatest thing that we have, the greatest hope that we have. There's also, he's unwavering in his judgments. I want you to know that. Every sin, that's the last point here, every sin will be forgiven in Christ or punished in hell. And if you're a Christian here today, I pray that you're grateful that God is an absolutely holy, holy, holy God. Because without that, we have a God who's whimsical at best, and we have a God who means nothing along the way except to hand out handouts like a doting grandfather or a bellhop would. Let's end with this illustration. Again, this is not something I'm good at, but I have great envy. I think Jeff Simmons actually thought of you with this. This is something you do. This is something you do great. And Jeff's smiling because he knows this to be true. But there was a guy, and this is a true story, a guy named Billy Taylor, and he was a junkyard specialist. I think this was before uh, Junkyard Wars or whatever is out there on the channels today. But Billy would go to junkyards, and he would find stuff that other people had thrown away. Another man's trash is another man's treasure. You know that. And he considered it good and great, while others considered it worthless and no good. And he'd bring it back to his garage and turn it into contemporary art pieces. And I don't know how you do this, but he would sell these things for five or $10,000 off the cuff. Man, I'm in the wrong profession, I guess, at that point. No, I'm just kidding. But he goes and he finds junk that is worthless in everyone else's eyes, and he turns it into a masterpiece. And when Billy Taylor looks at that junk, he sees more than meets the eye. And so, Diana, I see you in the back. Diana has a skill. Just some of you have this, this crazy skill to look at something that I'm like, oh my goodness, how much is that going to cost me? And they come over here and they're like, oh, just do, 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 do. And it's beautiful. He sees a masterpiece in the making. He takes things that are worthless and makes them into something beautiful. Friends, I want you to know that's exactly a picture, this true story of a guy named Billy Taylor, of how God has seen us. We were worthless rebels that had nothing good in us, even before we met Jesus Christ. But, but, once you met him, even if you were in the junkyard, he's able to go in that yard to save you and turn you into a valuable masterpiece by his grace, for his glory, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of that, because of his grace, you are now a divine design. What an amazing God we serve. He's unchanging in his character. He's unchanging in his purpose. He's unchanging in his word. He's unchanging in his salvation. Christian, this week, as you face many unchanging circumstances in your family, in your house, in your job, in your kids, and whatever is out there, would you trust him today? He's trustworthy. If you're not a Christian here today, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That's the unchanging character of the gospel. But you must repent and believe the gospel and believe that he alone is Lord. Do you know him today? Let's bow our heads as we close out today. Father, we thank you so much. There's much more that can be said here today, much more as always, that in a 40, 42-minute sermon, we can only cover so much.